This podcast series is brought to you by Shallow Lake Community Church. Christmas did not originate from the birth of a baby. It wasn't even born out of a celebration of good tiding and well-being amongst men. It is steeped in pagan and medieval traditions, practices, and so forth. For some cultures, this time was a time of celebration of winter solstice. For others, it was a celebration of a pagan god Odin during the mid-winter holidays, or Saturn, the said god of agriculture. In early Christianity, Easter was the main holiday as Christians celebrated the risen Christ and his birth was not a main event. It was not much of an afterthought. It was the risen Messiah who brought salvation through conquering death which was the big deal. By the mid-ages, Christmas was designated by Pope Julius I to be celebrated on December 25th. The celebration was 12 days of Christmas. After believers attended church, they would engage in carnivals, gambling, drunkenness, and giving liberty to sexual and sensual delights and desires basically forfeiting the concept of self-control. In January 1645, a group of parliamentary ministers in England produced a new directory of public worship and designated Sundays as a holy day for the purpose of worshiping God and ruled all other holidays, including Easter and Christmas, to be abolished. Christmas was even outlawed in Boston in the 1600s, and lawbreakers who celebrated Christmas, they received a fine. After the American Revolution, as English traditions fell out of favor, Christmas was still not celebrated. An author named Washington Irving wrote The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon, This was a series of stories about the celebration of Christmas in an English manor house. American society was very much divided by wealth, social status, and the have-nots. And the stories were about a wealthy person inviting not-so-wealthy people into his home, narrowing the lines of an unequal society. This was a feel-good interpretation of what Christmas might look like, and hence many would say that these stories invented the traditions. A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens was also, also authored around this time, which put the word charity in the forefront of society's mind around the holidays. Christmas was declared a national holiday in the United States in 1870. Christmas has become a worldwide cultural, religious, and commercial phenomenon with these, with the three of these fears often intersecting. And rather than go through all of the intrinsities of what Christmas is or what Christmas is not, I want to share with you a message of hope. When I was born, my mother was quite ill. And my grandparents would take, take us for weeks at a time and care for us. 
And then when I was almost five years old, when my mother passed away, my father took us and he got married right away to another person. And together they had made our lives an incredible living nightmare. For one, my bedroom was a cage in the basement. And every once in a while, my father would come down and he would give us food or give me food rather in this cage. He'd just throw it in. And being in the basement, the room was very dark. There was no windows. And he told me that there was a bobcat that existed in this cage who was also very hungry. So along with this psychological impact was knowing that I had to kind of fend for my food and so forth. So I was sort of terrorized during this time. And this went on for our entire time that we were there. And there was a lot of different abuses that took place. And I'm not really going to give great detail um, into this because quite, quite often these kinds of stories, they do, they do trigger people and, and that's not my intent here. And so um, just know that there was a lot of torture that took place. And my grandparents, they had tried really hard to, to, get, to get us kids to come and live with them. Eventually, we were apprehended um, by the Children's Aid and we were put into uh, an orphanage. And this orphanage was um, very much, in a child's eyes, very much like a prison. It was, you know, you line up for your food, you line up to go to bed, you line up for your baths and all of these things. And I do remember that I didn't really experience love at all, that that, that was not my experience being there. Eventually, we went into foster home. And to say that we were safe, well, we were much safer than what we were but there was a lot of things that happened within Foster um, and being a crown ward that was really devastating to, to us. And so my grandparents, my grandmother, had gone to uh, every foster home that she knew of in that uh, and around all over Ontario trying to track us down. And eventually she did. And she had made an arrangement with the foster home to, to pick us up um, every weekend uh, for a period of around three years. And eventually um, we went to trial and um, there was a, a lawyer who was a child advocate. And back in the late, late 70s, grandparents, they didn't have any rights. And so this was really a groundbreaking precedent setting case. And, and I bring this up because my grandmother, um, you know, they when when they did adopt, my grandfather was seventy two, and my grandmother um, was getting up there in age. You know, getting into her sixties, and and so they sacrificed their retirement uh, for us. And you know, I, I I want to be able to say that life turned around, that everything was really great. Um, but what I can say is that we were 
less than obedient kids. I mean, we were pretty damaged. Um, and I, I started drinking really, really young when I was around 11, um, that I would, um, go to a friend's place and his dad had alcohol and I would, I would drink. And then I, I got into, um, some drugs when I was really young as well. And for me growing up as as a teen, um, I, I, I engaged in a lot of dangerous, risky kind of activities. Um, and I, and I didn't want to live. And that was for me pretty much every day of my existence as a teenager. Um, and then growing up, um, as a young adult also, um, I engaged in a lot of risky behaviors as well. And, um, lots of times, um, getting into situations where life for me, it wasn't really, I didn't see value in it. So, um, I, I tried to do a lot of different things that would end up, you know, dying through the thing that I've done. Um, and so around my 25th birthday, I had um, hooked up with a girl who, um, who I've known for a little while. And she was, she was quite, um, you know, very much like me into into the party scenes and all that kind of thing as well. And then she sort of left that whole scene for about, oh, a good year or so. And when I when I met up with her again, she had told me that she had found this relationship with with Jesus. And so um, as she started to tell me these stories and and give me a different perspective on life and and faith and all of these things, I decided to pick up the book of Luke. And I, I read that book and and through that whole time period, and it was about two weeks or so, then I remember being in a church and asking asking for prayer. And when someone prayed over me, I, I went and I, I sat over by myself and I asked God, I said, you know, Lord, give me something um, that I've never ever experienced before. And I saw this, this, what I would describe as a vision and that vision being all of these things that happened in my life um, that I believed that if there was a God, I'd, I'd hate him because, because he allowed these things to happen and so forth. And um, this little still, voice inside of me it was calm and peaceful and it basically was like this of all the things that happened in you in your life i was there but i didn't do to you and for me that was extremely comforting and i asked jesus i said lord give me something i've never had before Give me peace. And in an instant, from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes, I, I felt something just physically kind of kind of go into the core of my gut. And it was like leave or the core of my being. It just felt like it lifted. And instantaneously, all of the voices in my head that I've heard throughout my entire life on a daily basis. You're no good, you're weak, you're stupid. All of these voices 
immediately it left. And also all of the rage and the hate that I felt inside, it left. And what was replaced was this incredible sense of peace. I remember walking down the street in my hometown at that time in, in Kitchener where I was going to, um, to school. And uh, well, actually I was going to school in Toronto at that time, but, um, and, and I was walking down the street and I was seeing people in restaurants and in, in different venues. And I remember in the past looking at that kind of a scene and thinking how empty I am, that I don't have family around, I don't have life, I don't have a purpose for living. And, and it was so dreadful. The holidays were absolutely horrible for me. But then all of a sudden, at this time, though, it was very different. It was as though I felt I belonged in this family of God, in the kingdom of God. And it was something that was so incredibly peaceful and filled with hope. And of course, that's continued along my journey. My story is not unlike the story of many people, though. There are so many people who struggle for whatever reason around the Christmas holidays. It is the time when people look around and they hear stories of family traditions, of commercial opportunities, of gatherings. And it reminds people about a longing that they have, looking to be a part of a family. For some, it is a time of despair, a time of emptiness, realizing, however justified or not, how alone they really seem. For me, one thing that I've learned is that Jesus is hope for the world, a world where there are people who are marginalized, disenfranchised, and people who are poor in spirit. As Christians, during this season, we bring who we are as a family of believers to a world caught up in an illusion. Not through trying to save the world, but to love them. Very recently, I was in the room with some of the other leaders in our church family, and I looked along the table and it dawned upon me that we are a family of believers. It is not this church building that makes us who we are, but it is the community of people who makes us who we are, who we are as a family. We are a family of believers who are called to be lights in the world, to share a message of hope together as a collective family, to love the people in the world without favoritism, without partiality as God calls us to. Jesus said that I come to save the world, not to judge us or to judge the world. So why do we come? Why are we here? What brings us together as a church family? What unites us? What defines us? Is it this place or is it the people within God gives us gifts of his Holy Spirit, a power to show the world the love of God. 
We are not to condemn people. We're not to judge people. Only to be a light in the world by loving God and loving people. The theologian, scholar N.T. Wright, he notes in his book, For All of God's Worth, True Worship and the Calling of the Church, he says, For many, Christianity is just a beautiful dream. In a world which everyday reality goes a bit blurred, it's nostalgic, cozy, and comforting. But real Christianity isn't like that at all. Take Christmas for instance, he says, a season of nostalgia, of carols and candles and firelight and happy children. But that misses the point completely. He continues that Christmas is not a reminder that the world is really quite a nice old place. It reminds us that the world is a shockingly old bad place where wickedness flourishes unchecked, where children are murdered, where civilized countries make a lot of money selling weapons to uncivilized ones so that they can blow each other apart. Christmas is God lighting a candle, he continues, and you don't light a candle that's already filled with sunlight. You light a candle in a room that's so murky that the candle, when lit, reveals just how bad things really are. The light shines in the darkness, says St. John, and the darkness has not overcome it. We are entering the traditional time of Advent. And I don't know about you and where your understanding of Advent is and the tradition surrounding it. I don't even understand myself the entire complexity of Advent and its traditions surrounding the process. But the one thing I've come to know is that the hope that Jesus brings for all people of all walks of life, no matter who they are, they are loved by God. Jesus calls us to share this hope to people, whether they are a friend or whether they are an enemy, whether they like us or whether we don't like them or not. No matter what we've come to believe in our own learnings, our upbringings, prejudices, or what we've been told to believe about a people or a people group, God calls us not to segregate, not to annihilate or alienate, but to love. Think about this for a moment. In Canada, language has existed for a very long time to completely destroy, assimilate, and to alienate First Nations people. Language from TV shows, through textbooks, within our schools, and even in legislation and the laws of the land that was designed to destroy the lives of people within the First Nations communities. We don't have to look too far to find the truth in this. From the truth and reconciliation procedures to the recent apology by the Prime Minister of Canada this past week to the First Nations people. We see how we have systematically been drip-fed perspectives in how we ought to treat people. And it was not good. 
For generations, the Jewish people learned through stories and traditions or whatever that this Samaritan people group was not to be cared for or loved. They were wrong. Jesus made it very clear that people were to love the Samaritan people group, no matter how they came to believe that they weren't. Jesus brings hope to all people. That hope brings about change. It allows us to alter our perspectives, to find a way forward to achieve what others would tell us is not possible. In Romans chapter 8, we read, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? This Christmas and going into the new year, let people see the hope that we have. Let us be like those who have had their perspectives and their language altered around those who we believe can or cannot be loved by God. Let us see the Samaritan in every person.